0: Clear. These things are good to uh, specify in 21st century America. Um, this is my wife, Bailey, and I would like to give her the opportunity just to uh, greet you guys here uh, for a moment.
1: Yeah, good morning. I'm so glad so many of you are here since it's spring break weekend, and uh, we're excited for Pastor Justin and Casey to be away and enjoy a little bit of vacation with their girls. So um, we always love being here with you guys. We got to sneak in last week. We were in major jet lag mode, we had just gotten back from Kenya. Um, but we got to be here when you guys got to see the video and kind of hear the exciting news about church planning in Kenya. So we're excited to partner with you guys in this. It's been a dream for years for us, uh, with Pastor Justin and Casey and the staff here. So thank you guys for praying. Thanks for being faithful. Thanks for you know, giving out and serving here. We love just seeing like new volunteers and the greeting team out on the streets. Um, it was cold this morning and they were, they were out there. So. They were. Um, Hope you guys grab a donut and everything um, before you leave, but we'll pray for your spiritual food here real quick and get into the word. Father, we thank you for your presence this morning. Lord, we thank you that we can stand here publicly and worship you, that we're not having to um, be in an undercover, underground area, Lord, and, and to try to worship you, but we can freely lift up the name of Jesus both in this building and in the streets. God, we thank you for freedom. And we just remember our brothers and sisters around the world right now who are being persecuted for their faith and don't have the freedoms that we so readily have here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And Lord, we thank you that you're doing something new here at Foundation Church, that you're expanding our hearts, not just for Tulsa and Oklahoma and our nation, but for the nations of the world. And we thank you, God, that they've been faithful to partner with missions, not just with us, but so many others. Lord, we just pray this morning that our hearts would be ready to receive the word that you have for us, that we would carry good news, not just manifesting in our lives, but we'd be the the found people that find people. And Lord, we thank you just for this, this body of believers. We thank you for your goodness. We pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. Thanks, babes. All right. Well, this morning, we are going to look at a message called Ending the Spiritual Famine. So for those of you that have the uh, word of God in front of you in just a moment, we're going to 2 Kings chapter seven. But before we do that, I just wanna say thank you so much for letting your pastor come over to Kenya with uh, Adam Crisp three weeks ago. We had an amazing time and just seeing so many people come to Jesus, it was great. Um, the Sunday that Joel LaCourse preached, um, I took the guys over to the uh, giraffe park in Nairobi, and this is Stacy, and I was feeding Stacy with my mouth, and the guys kinda thought that was strange. And the reason I'm saying, telling you this story is because you guys were in a series called For Better or For Worse, and I learned with my wife that if you can uh, kiss a giraffe and things are still good in your marriage, you're good to go, right? So anyway, that had nothing to do with the message today, but that was a uh, freebie. So Second Kings chapter 7, uh, verse number uh, 3 is where we're going to pick up the story. The word of the Lord says, now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the king of the Hittites and the king of Egypt to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was, and fled for their lives." And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and ate and drank, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried off things from it and went and hid them. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right, for this is the day of, help me here, what are these two words? Good news. Good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go, and tell the king's household. So they came and called to the gatekeepers of the city and told them, we came to the camp of the Syrians. And behold, there was no one to be seen or heard there, nothing but the horses tied, and the donkeys tied, and the tents as they were. Then the gatekeepers called out, and as it was told, within the king's household, ending the famine in the land. Now, this morning at Foundations Church, the good news is there's no famine in the land. We have donuts for you out in the lobby and some of you are already, your blood sugar's spiking because of the sugar, and so my job is to try and keep you alive, keep not keep you alive, keep you awake. (laughs) Unless you're in a diabetic coma, in which case, I can't keep you alive. Call 911, that's a different story, okay? Um, I kinda wanna set up the backstory here for this uh, passage of scripture that we're looking at. When Pastor Jess and I were talking about today, and he said, hey, could you preach on missions? And we were down in southern Kenya on the border, and there's a terrible drought, it hasn't rained in like six months, and there were dead cows all over the place, And I came to this passage and I began to think about this idea of famine. Now some of you may think that I am a good poster child for this uh, message about famine because of how big my biceps are, right? Um, I run all the time, I promise I do eat, Um, it's just that I'm a Kenyan and I was born to run, right? Um, So we're gonna look at the chapter before chapter seven and we're gonna kinda give some context to the story, okay? So we're gonna look at verse 25. Uh, 2 Kings chapter six, and the word of God says, and there was a great famine in Samaria as they besieged it. So the king of Aram has put his soldiers around the city until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. So the king has surrounded the city, he's blockaded it off, nobody's going in, nobody's going out. Because of that, there's famine in the land. And the Bible says it's so bad that they are selling a donkey's head for 80 shekels of silver. Now we know that 80 shekels is about two pounds, and we know that there's about 16 ounces in a pound. We know that an ounce of silver right now is going for about $17.30. So if you do the math, that means that this donkey head, which would have had very little meat, is being sold for about $550, all right? This is exorbitant prices. This is a terrible famine, right? And chapter 6 tells us that things are going to get a whole lot worse. In fact, it gets so bad, you can do the homework um, after church today and read chapter 6. It says that there was a woman who actually cooked her son so that they could eat him because the famine had become so terrible in the land. So the point is that this is a really desperate situation, right? Now, maybe you're here and you're thinking, well, we don't have a famine in the land, and here in the United States, here in Tulsa, most of us are blessed with an abundant amount of food. Um, but I would suggest that there is a spiritual famine. And can we look at Amos 8:11 and see what the word of the Lord says here? It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread, not a famine for thirst of water, but a famine of the hearing of the word of the Lord. So we see this picture here of a spiritual famine, right? And so today we're talking about ending a spiritual famine. And in this place of famine, in this place of desperation, in this place of an absence of the word of God, we have wickedness, and we have perversion, and we have um, all kinds of godlessness abounding in our generation, and abounding in this nation, and abounding in the nations of the world, right? And I love this story this morning because it's not a gloom and doom story. I love this story because we've had enough bad news, we've had enough fake news, and I'm going to suggest today that it's time for some good news, all right? And I love how this story is really about how um, in difficult and impossible situations, suddenly God can intervene and there can be a sudden and divine twist in how the story plays out, right? And believe it or not, I think that this passage also portrays what missions looks like. I don't mean all the technical jargon and programs and formulas, but the heart behind missions, like what is missions and what does missions look like? Well, simply stated, if I answered that, I would say it's a yearning to end spiritual famine by seeing God glorified greatly. It's a yearning to end spiritual famine by seeing God glorified greatly. Now, in our story, we're gonna look at how these different, um, um, different principles fit into this idea of ending spiritual famine. And in order to do that, we need to establish the definition of a word, and the word is gospel. Who knows what the, go- what the word gospel means? Uh, louder, please. <laughs> Good news, right, okay? The word gospel means good news. And so I'm gonna use this idea of the good news coming in to end spiritual famine to set up this uh, message today. So three simple missional principles for ending spiritual famine in our generation. And the first one is simply this. The good news is all about restoration, dot, 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 and then some, okay? The good news is all about restoration, dot, 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 and then some, Now, some of you say, well, what's the dot, dot, dot about? Well, it's my message, and I put the dot, dot, dot in there. And when you get invited to preach, you don't have to use the dot, 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 but that's how I'm setting it up for today, all right? Um, restoration basically means to bring something back to its original state or purpose. And we have a, our culture right now is all about restoration, right? You watch TV, you watch Fixer Upper, you watch all these uh, um, home improvement uh, shows, and it's all about, hey, let's restore our house and get it back into uh, not only a place of what, what it originally was, but something even better, right? And we see that here the gospel or good news is all about restoring people to God, and then God goes into the business of restoring people to each other, all right? So let's look at this story, because this is really interesting. We have four nameless lepers, and we know that leprosy is a skin disease, right? And it's a terrible disease, body parts would just randomly fall off. (laughs) And so you have these four lepers, they're sitting at the gate of the city, and they're considered unclean in that society. And so they're ostracized, they're at the gate of the city, and they're in a really tough place, And they decide that they're gonna start talking to each other this this particular evening, and they say this, they say, if we stay in the gates of the city, we're gonna starve, because we don't have any food, so we're gonna die, right? And we've got leprosy, so we're already almost dead anyway, so that's not really a good option. And if we go back into the city, the famine's there in the city as well, and there's no food there, and so we'll starve and we'll die if we go back into the city. So instead of dead end number one, and instead of dead end number two, isn't there a third alternative, And as the guys are talking about it, they decide, you know what, let's do something risky. Let's take a step of faith. And they decide to get up and go into the heart of the enemy's territory. And I'm gonna suggest this morning that the essence of restoration is a desire to recover what has been stolen and taken away in your life, right? Now, I've learned something in my uh, few short years on planet Earth, that when you complain about your situation, it doesn't usually ever change. If these guys had just sat at the gate and said, man, this is terrible and we've got leprosy and there's no food and nothing's changing and nothing's working out, you know what, probably there'd be no story here and we'd never even hear about it, right? And if you relive the past and talk about how good things used to be before they had leprosy when they used to live in the city, probably things wouldn't have changed either because you're so past focused that you can't have any kind of forward momentum. And so I'd suggest today that we all need forward momentum towards God's purposes to take back land that the enemy has taken from us. And let's be honest this morning. As I was praying, as I was asking the Lord for a word that I could bring here at Foundations Church, what I really sensed this is that some of you have lost so much to the enemy. Relationships, finances, peace. Maybe your marriage is on the rocks. Your hope your sense of purpose and direction, or worst of all, maybe it's your relationship with God, right, and the good news this morning is that no matter what the enemy has stolen, no matter what the enemy has taken, no matter what he has captured and robbed you of in your life, the good news is that we serve a God who is a restorer. We serve a God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. And as we, as we get up out of self-pity, like these guys there at the gates, you know, they could have felt bad for themselves. And Joe could have turned to Bob and said, Bob, man, it's a shame that your nose fell off. Yeah, it stinks, man. I'm sorry that you lost your left arm. You know, your big toe fell off in your shoe the other day. I mean, leprosy, I'm not, it, terrible disease, right? And what we see here in this place is as they get up out of self-pity and shame and self-hatred and fear, and as they begin to advance towards the enemy, God does wonders, right? How long will you sit at the gate? This is the question I wanna challenge us with today. What area of your life is God calling you to reclaim? Which area of your life is he, at, is he saying that He wants to restore? So the question is, how long will you sit at the gate? Now, these guys have no plan, right? They're lepers. And so in the darkness of the night, they start tiptoeing towards the, you know, Aramite camp, and they're tiptoeing and they're thinking to themselves, this is a crazy idea. There's no way that anything good is going to come of this. And what they don't know is that it's actually a setup for a breakthrough, right? Because as they're tiptoeing, the Bible says that God turned their footsteps into the sound of an advancing army. And so what they don't know is that as they're approaching the enemy's camp, the enemy's terrified because he thinks this, you know, tens of thousands of people are advancing against them. Some of you this morning might be saying, well, I don't know um, how God is going to turn my situation around. And I would have to say I don't either, but it's the steps of faith that he's called us to take, that as we get up, as we begin to cooperate with what he's doing, as we begin to get a heart for restoration in our lives, as we begin to say, I'm going to take back the land that the enemy has taken from me, as you begin to get your heart into action, as you begin to get your faith activated again, it's this idea of refusing to sit at the city gates any longer. Why should we die sitting here and why should we go back into the um, town when there's no food there either? Let's go restore. Let's go reclaim our inheritance, right? And they discover that as they're advancing forward, the good news meets their every need and then some, okay? Dot, 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 and then some. Another way of saying this is Jesus is not only enough, he's more than enough, They went looking for food, right? Because they're starving. There's a famine in the land. And at this point, I think even a moldy cheeseburger would have tasted good. You know, if any of you, if you've ever gone any period of time, um, like on a fast or something, I remember the last fast I went on, it didn't matter, like, even the food that I hate the most, after like three days of not eating, it's tasting pretty good, right? And the smell is just like, oh, and your mouth will start salivating. And some of you are like, oh, I got to go get a donut. You're making me hungry. They're in the back. Feel free to help yourself, right? Um... And yet, what they find as they're looking for food is, and then some, right? They look for food, and then some. They get some silver, right? They're looking for a meal, and then they find gold. They're looking for something to fill their stomach with, and then they find some um, fine clothes. It's all there, and then some, dot, dot, dot. (laughs) So for me, this is a picture of the gospel message. It's this idea that God's grace is more than sufficient, right? We come and we say, Jesus, I need you to forgive me. I need you to change my life. And he not only forgives us, but he cleanses us, he washes us, he purifies us, he offers us salvation, right? He gives us a new beginning and then he begins to pour out his love and grace in our lives and then he releases the promise of eternity and he helps us begin to find purpose for our lives and then he begins to restore relationships that were broken and then he begins to do and then some things in our lives. It's restoration and then some. And so I see here two things that we kind of have to take away from this idea. Number one, they got a heart to recover what the enemy had stolen. And until we get this passion deep down inside of our hearts that says, you know what? The enemy, and I feel like this is a word for people in this congregation, the enemy has been ripping you off. The enemy has been destroying you. He's been bombarding your minds and assaulting your marriages and attacking your bodies. And until something rises up inside of us and says, you know what? I'm going to reclaim what the enemy has taken. You have to get that kind of passion, that kind of fight, that kind of desire down inside of you, right? And then the second thing that I see here is, and um, they then started to walk it out. You know, so many times we think like as we start walking out God's thing that it's gonna be instantaneous and it's not instantaneous. It may look like your nose falling off. (laughs) It may look like a finger coming off because life's messy, right? But this idea of being willing to keep taking those steps because one of our core values that we believe here at Foundations Church is that growing people are changing people, right? Growing people are changing people. So what is your need today? And how long are you gonna stay at the gates of the city? Um, While we were in Kenya, we got to hang out with my best friend, Sach. And I'm not gonna go into telling the whole story because I've told it here before um, at Foundations Church. Um, But several years ago, I was in a park. I was eating my lunch and this tall... Um, That guy right there came over to the table where I was and tried to steal my lunch. He looked at me and he said, you, white man, I'm going to take your lunch. And I said, which in Swahili means sit down, shut up, leave me alone. For those of you who don't know, I was born in Kenya. I'm really an African-American. It's true. I can't help it. Um, And so I'm sitting there. He's staring at me. I'm staring at him. And I thought, boom. Light bulb goes on. This is an opportunity to share Jesus with him. And I said, hey, Jesus loves you. You got a plan for your life. I get about 20 seconds into it. He goes, stop. You can take your American God. You can go back to America. We want nothing to do with this nonsense. I thought, whoa, Uh, success story for Evangelism 101, right? And so as he storms away, um, later in the afternoon, I see him. He's down by this picnic table again. I don't have time to tell all the details, but I get to talking to him once again. And one of his buddies puts um, a glass of alcohol in my hand. And I said, "No thanks. I don't. I don't drink because I'm feeling real awkward." There's like six guys standing around me who are completely inebriated, and the one guy goes, "Well, why don't you drink?" And I'm thinking, "Well, um, you know, if they took a picture, send it back to my supporting churches in America. (laughs) You're you're a missionary. It's probably just not the best, you know, picture or whatever." Um, But the guy asked me, "Are you born again?" Now, how do you answer that sto- question when you're standing in front of you know, five or six drunk guys? And I went, in my very confident um, personality, hey, yeah, 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 yes, yes, I'm born again. And this guy, Satch, grabs me by my shirt collar, drags me down the side of this uh, slope. The picnic table's kind of up here, the lake's down here. Got me by my shirt collar, and I'm thinking, it's it. It's over, thank you, Jesus, been a good life. Hook, jab, uppercut, teeth flying, blood, you know the story. Um, and what he looks at me, and he says, I don't have much time left, do I? I wrote a book about it. It's called The Sot Story. Not much time left. He ends up getting saved. He ends up getting his life to Christ. He gets delivered from alcohol. Um, And he had this heart that says he wanted restoration for his family almost from day one. I got to disciple him, got to do life with him. Within a period of just a short um, couple of months, his brother came to Christ. Then another brother came to Christ. Then a sister came to Christ. Then another sister came to Christ. and some cousins came to the Lord. And it was just like this really awesome thing. But in his heart, there was this desire for his dad to come to know Jesus. A uh, polygamist Kenyan, who's been married, he has three wives concurrently and just never quite got the idea of Jesus and we've been praying for him for 14 some years and he was telling, talk. we were talking about this while we were there that last year one of his brothers died and Satch was asked to speak at the funeral and he stood up at the funeral and he preached the love of Jesus, the God who restores even the most difficult situations and his dad, Mr. Nyamahongo, was sitting on the second row and the tears started flowing and Sach got the opportunity to lead his dad to Jesus. And so the cool story is this, that God not only restores, he, goes, he He engages in restoration, and then some. And people in our congregation here at Foundations Church, God's in the process of restoring your life, and it's not just that he wants to stop, like you put parameters on it, and God, well, if you gave this, then that would be really good. And God's like, yeah, I can blow your little, you know, Bubble, there you go. Blow your little, I lost the word, blow your little bubble out of the water and do more than you could ever possibly imagine because he's a God who not only restores, but dot, 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 and then some. Some of you are in that moment and I'm just sensing in my heart that the rest of 2017 is gonna be and then some moment in your lives, right? Point number two, the good news must never be kept to ourselves. The good news must never be kept to ourselves. Now, watch what happens here. The city's been besieged for a long time, right? The Aramaeans have built their little, this is my city, okay, imagine with me, all little buildings and here's the wall and the Aramaean camp are around it and I'm just joking, okay, it's not really a city, it's a table. <laughs> and the city has been besieged for so long and they've accumulated all of the wealth that has been going in and out of this city and this story happens, they start walking towards the camp, they, um, Aramites are in fear, they run away, and these four guys, in a matter of moments, are fabulously wealthy, right? Did you see the story? And so they walk into the first tent, and they're like, whoa, where is everybody? forget where everybody is. Look at the food on the table. Oh my goodness. And so they're gorging themselves, right? All kinds of food. They're like, forget the food. There's silver over there in the corner. And the guys are like picking up, you know, shekels of silver. They're like, forget the silver. There's gold bars over there. And so they're going over there and raiding out the gold bars. And they're like, look at these clothes. And then do you see what the word of God says? It said that they took all of this stuff. And what did they do with it? They hid it. Whoa. They hid it. In other words, they're storing it up where no one else can find it, right? Where no one else will notice it. And then suddenly one of them says to himself or maybe to his friends, he says, you know, I keep having this thought, maybe what we're doing isn't right. Maybe, just maybe, maybe the good news of and then some, maybe the good news of God doing over and above what we thought was possible, maybe, just maybe, that it was never meant to be kept to ourselves, right? Maybe the good news, as good and beneficial as it is for us, was really meant to be given away and shared with others. Wow. This is one of our um, core values here at Foundations Church, right? Found people, find people. And this idea is that it's another way of saying, once you've found the extravagant good news of Christ, you need to share it with others. Your and then some moment of restoration in Christ could be the key to somebody else's breakthrough. Now, the thing that strikes me most interesting about this passage of Scripture is that nobody in the city, remember the city, nobody in the city is asking the four guys, hey, do you have any good news to share with us? Now, so many times when it comes to this idea of found people, find people, did you see that there's an intentionality there? There's a strategy there of saying that you have to take the step to engage somebody else. Chances are the other person isn't going to ask you, hey, have you been going to church recently? Did you give your life to Jesus? Could you tell me about that? At least for me, that usually isn't the case, right? What normally has to happen in order for this to take place is that we have to begin to take that first step, right? And begin to say, you know what? I'm going to share... Um, what Christ has done. Um, Back to that Sotch story. After he got saved, I found out that he was a gang leader, and he had, I don't know, how many friends that were involved in alcohol and drugs, and he decided that we needed to share Jesus with him. And so he would call them all together, and like, these guys are hooligans and, you know, gangsters and just crazy kind of thing, and he'd invite me in, this tall, skinny, um, American, white guy, right? And he'd be like, guys, this is my friend Steve, and he's going to talk to you about Jesus, And if any of you move while he's talking to you, I'm going to beat you. It's evangelism by intimidation, right? And it works really well. It really does. Um, And I can't tell you how many guys came to Christ, but I thought um, so many times when it comes to evangelism now, even to this day, like years and years later, when I'm sharing Jesus with someone, I'll imagine Satch standing behind me, being like, he's got my back, like, But you know who does got your back when you're sharing Jesus? The King of kings and Lord of lords. And I just want to encourage you, for some of you that have been um, struggling with this idea of sharing the good news about what Jesus is doing in your life, you know what? It's going to be messy. It's not going to be perfect. There's going to be body parts maybe falling off, just to use the analogy of the lepers here. It may be that there's intimidation and fear, but you know what? There's somebody who's got your back, and that's Jesus Christ. And when we are intentional to take the good news and share it with other people, man, God does amazing things. Um, God's doing some awesome stuff at Foundations Church. You know, my wife and I have been connected here for about six years on and off. We're the church hopping missionaries. <laughs> but we do try to come into Foundations as much as possible. We love this place. And we've just seen so many cool stories of what God's doing. And you know what? At some point, found people, finding people is this idea that we can't just keep it in the four walls of this church. We can't just keep it with like within our families and like with people that we're comfortable with. But at some point, what Pastor Justin has been communicating and what the, what the, what the leadership Team here has decided is that we have to take this idea of you can't hold on to it, you can't hide it, you can't keep it to yourself. But we have to give it away. We have to share it. We have to take it to the four corners of the world, to places like Kenya, to places like Talak, which is in Narok County, to places like Sekanani, to places like uh, Muisolami. You guys saw that video last week. For those of you that are here, we were inside this little hut and they were giving us a tour of what it looks like to live in a Maasai Boma. And as we came out, I just felt in my heart so strong that the Maasai warrior that was with us needed to hear about Christ and I felt so strong. Pastor Justin was supposed to share. And so he gets up and he starts just talking a little bit about how what it means to be a pastor and loving Jesus and the Maasai culture is all about strong men and and he just starts talking about strength that comes from knowing Jesus. And he says, is there anybody here that wants to give their lives to Christ? It was so awesome. Adam was there, man. We just watched as like five or six of these guys raised their hands in the middle of the bush of Africa. You know why? Because you can't hide it. You can't keep it to yourself. You can't, keep, you can't hold on to what God's done inside of you. At some point, if you're going to be intentional in following Christ as a disciple, you have to take that step that goes beyond the borders of what you're comfortable with and saying, you know what? We're reaching out. And That's what this mission's emphasis is all about. And Then the final point here as we look to close and when a preacher says they're closing, it really doesn't mean anything. I don't know if you guys know that, but that's just a, free, um, a freebie, but I am going to try and close. Um, the good news at the right time still opens the heavens, right? The good news at the right time still opens the heaven. Now, there's something miraculous taking place in this story, something supernatural, something of a God element. Uh, chapter seven, verses one and two, which we haven't read yet, which kind of sets up uh, the passage that we've been looking at says this, but Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time a saia, a fine flower, shall be sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Then the captain on whose hand the king leaned said to the man of God, if the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? <laughs> That's my uh, Oklahoman accent coming out there. But he said, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Now, this idea of the windows of heaven or the floodgates of heaven, it's a a biblical expression, um, and it means, uh, it signifies miraculous intervention, right? It's like when God shows up and does something that's unexpected. And so what we see happening here is the man who accompanied, like the king's top counselor, Here's this idea that by tomorrow this time, food's going to be back to normal. The prices are going to drop. There's going to be abundance. And this man mocks the word of the Lord. He not only mocks the word of the Lord, but he insults the character of God. And you can just hear that, almost that cynicism coming up inside of him where he says, if the Lord himself should make the windows of heaven, could this thing be, right? And so, why, what's going on here? It's that there's cynicism, and I, I define cynicism this way it's a toxic mixture of hurt and unbelief, right? His expectations have been crushed. His experience is painful. I don't know exactly what had happened in his life, but at some point, something took place that didn't live up to the expectations of how he was supposed to, he thought it was supposed to go, and he's mad at God. And so we see here that he doesn't realize is that he's about to miss out on one of the coolest miracles in the Old Testament within 24 hours, right? That's a 1440 minutes. Something miraculous is about to take place and because of the cynicism, because of the inward hurt, because of the pain, because life hasn't gone right, his faith level has been polluted, it's been poisoned and he's just sitting there going uh-uh. You know, I I currently live in Missouri right now, actually, and it's the show me state, right? And I think sometimes um, this idea plays out in our daily life where we say, well, I don't believe that. You're gonna have to show me, right? And people say that in Missouri that, you know, it's because they're real practical. Show me, show me. And, and, and here's the thing, that when it comes to faith, oftentimes you can't have a show me moment ahead of time. You have to have a heart that is open, a heart that is responsive, that says, you know what, God, I need you to intervene. God, I need you to do something powerful in my life. And so um, two quick ideas here about this time tomorrow. The heavens will open and the price of food will be back to normal. Number one, you can't put God on your timetable, Right? You can't put God on your timetable. I remember um, when I worked for a Christian television station. This one night, this guy came, and he was like trying to raise money for the organization or something. And he said, "If you'll give seventy-seven dollars in the next seven minutes, God will bless you with seven hundred and seventy-seven dollars." Right? And uh, even as a college student back in the day, I just knew it was fake. Like I knew, like that is just so cheesy. Like nobody who who has a sincere like understanding of how God operates and knows that that, that, that's not how it works, right? You can't like put God in a cage and be like, hey, God, you're a monkey and perform on my timetable, right? And yet at the same time, when it becomes to cynicism, the danger is because you see these crazy things out there that take place in the name of God, you guard your heart so much and you go, well, that's just goofy, that's just out there, so I'm not gonna believe God for anything and I'm just gonna stay at the gates of the city and I don't know about all this stuff of God intervening and you get cynical, right? And so the other idea is here is that you can't let cynicism and hurt restrict his supernatural power from changing your situation. And we sometimes think that for God to open the heavens, it has to be this massive thing, right? And I love this story because it's four lepers that nobody knows that are hurting, that are starving, and they're just taking steps in the middle of the night, right? And so this morning, the idea is what steps do you need to take? to move towards what God's called you to, to move towards that place of restoration, to move towards that place of of breakthrough, to receive that thing that you've been believing for, right? And the second idea here is that we get so fixated with our problems that we miss how big God is and how quickly he can turn situations around. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I've been at a place where I'm so focused on how difficult life is and how difficult the challenges are. And I remember in 2013, I preached a message here called When Life Sucks. And some of you may have been here, and we were going through a very difficult season. And it's so easy at times to get so just heavy with how life is not going right that you forget that in a moment we serve a God who can turn footsteps in the middle of the night into the echo of an advancing army so that the people in the camp are like, terrified out of their mind, and they're just like, wow, God's doing something powerful, right? And so here's how I want to close this today. The heart of missions is a desire for restoration that encounters Jesus, dot, 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 and then some. And then a heart of missions turns towards a realization that your experience was never meant for you alone, and that as you share the good news, God does incredible things in his name and for his glory on his timetable. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to look at your word together today. Such a simple word, but Lord, I believe it's a word for us in this season. Lord, we need you desperately in our lives. There's spiritual famine in many people's lives. And Lord, I believe that you desire to use this church to impact people for your glory and for your honor. Ah, Lord, we're grateful. We thank you every head bowed and eyes closed are you here today and you'd say you know what there's areas of my life that need restoration and as you've been speaking as you've been sharing it's clear that this is what the spirit of God is speaking to me about and I just I just need prayer that God would give me that courage to take those steps forward to partner and cooperate with him in taking back what the enemy has stolen if that's you would you just slip up your hands so I can pray with you thank you anybody else thanks thanks things one more invitation I want to give this morning are you here and you know your relationship with God needs to be restored or maybe you've never had a relationship with God and in this moment the good news for you is that Jesus loves you Jesus wants to come into your brokenness and your hurt Jesus wants to come and heal your heart and change your life is that you would you slip up your hand so we could pray with you today is there anybody here and you'd say hey I need Jesus to restore things in my life thank you. Lord, we just thank you for everyone here in this moment. Lord, I pray for the courage that we need to walk this thing out. I pray for the confidence that we need, Lord, to grab a hold of your purpose, to grab a hold of your plan, Lord. Father, I know that this is a difficult thing to receive. go after and to experience restoration in areas that have been so broken and so hurt. And I pray for people that are struggling with cynicism. They're struggling with unbelief because things didn't work out how they thought they're going to. And Lord, I pray in this moment that you would heal hearts, that you'd minister to them. And that, Lord, there'd be a capacity to be able to believe you, to be able to trust you. Lord, I thank you for what this congregation is a part of. I thank you, Lord, that we're taking the good news out of the four walls of foundations. And we are taking it, Lord, to the nation of Kenya, to places that are broken, to places that are starving spiritually. And, Lord, we are desiring that you would use us in a powerful way to impact that country for your glory as we plant churches. And I pray for every person here today that, Lord, there would be supernatural interventions in their lives. And for those that need miraculous, um, just miraculous intervention from heaven, that, Lord, you would open the heavens. And that, Lord, we wouldn't miss out on what I believe is gonna be one of the finest moments for Foundations Church. Lord, we thank you for this season that we're in. We thank you that you're continuing to work in a powerful way. And we bless you now in Jesus' name. Amen. We're gonna sing uh, this song together one more time. But you